HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we are back. You, of course, are listening to Heritage Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in this lovely January day. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report. Uh, 2017, new year, new co-host. I'm in the studio with... Shelly Comer, hey. <laughs> and I, of course, am Aaron Fairbanks, longtime host of the Farm Report. Today we've got a big show for you, lots to discuss, because holy moly, there is so much going on right now. Shelly um, and I are fresh back from Washington, D.C. We took the we took a bus down there on Saturday to take part in the Women's March on Washington, so we're going to touch on a little bit of that and a little bit of um, news that's been circulating uh, under this new administration. But before we get into that, we're really excited to welcome a guest. And Charlie, I'm going to let you do the honors. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, today we are excited to talk about women working as advocates locally in agriculture and spreading the word about our industry and food and working with our communities. So I'm very excited that we have a friend of mine, Cindy Geiger, joining us from Sullivan County. Um, Cindy, are you there? I am, Sally. Hi, Cindy. Um, well, we were going to start out by letting you give us a little bit of uh, background on your your uh, location and your family and your farm. Oh, I would love to. Uh, my family is fifth generation here in Sullivan County. My great-grandfather owned the Shady Grove Boarding House in Liberty, where he advertised for local farm fresh pr- produce and also farm fresh milk from my great uncle Skylar Rose's Creamery, um, which was also in Liberty. 
uh, my grandfather on my dad's side immigrated from the Ukraine and bought an 80-acre farm in Parksville, New York, where he spent time uh, growing up. And we heard a lot of farm stories when we were kids. My dad loved the land, and as a matter of fact, he took our family of six on several cross-country trips out west, uh, through the Midwest, um, the, the northern region, climbed Rocky Mountains, and uh, you know, taking those trips, I realized how much I loved uh, where we lived, rural America, my home in the Northeast, and the Catskill Mountains for the Four Seasons and the open space. Um, so after finishing college, uh, I, I met my husband, who was also returning home from college to Sullivan County, and he was entering a partnership with his dad on his family's dairy farm that was purchased in 1959. Uh, in Jeffersonville, and both of us being um, lovers of the land and believing in faith and family values uh, that, you know, we felt at the time farm life provided, and I see that it greatly has, you know, which was big for me. Um, I fell in love with the beautiful farm life. And so currently our farm is a 75-cow dairy. It's family-operated. My husband and I operate it with our sons. Uh, we do have neighbors and friends that help during hay season and harvest season with the corn silage. Um, we also have a 25-kilowatt solar system uh, running our farm. This is, I think, the eighth year and, uh, you know, has saved us literally thousands of dollars. Um, and we market our milk through Dairy Farmers of America, which is a um, nationwide cooperative. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that's how I um, grew to love the farm. And I'm proud to, uh, you know, produce uh, product free from hormones and any kind of chemicals. And, you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, I'm proud, very proud. I have to say, um, I don't know if you're already working for the, the Sullivan County Tourism Board, but if you're not, <laughs> you should consider it because you're making an amazing case. <laughs> I'm like Thank looking you. at Charlie. I'm like, all right, girl, let's go. I'm down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, that is such a wonderful intro, and there's so much to kind of talk about there. Um, but you're, you're being modest and not, and not uh, sharing enough about how much you've been involved with the community and how much, you know, one thing I know from our, our history together, um, how much you've worked from, you know, with all the different changes in the community and agriculture and the region. And, you know, you're, you have connections and friendships in the kind of traditional and multi-generational community. And then also with some of the newer farmers and smaller farmers. So, um, if you could talk a little bit about that history and a little bit about how you became involved in local, um, in, locally in the county. Of course, I'd love to. Um, I became involved in um, local issues when, um, kind of funny, five of my farming friends and neighbors, I invited them over for a, a summer lunch over tea. And we got talking around my table in the kitchen uh, they were all women, and several, like I said, were my neighbors. And we found ourselves complaining about the lack of attention to the challenges that local farmers were facing. And, you know, several of us, uh, you know, were dairy farmers. And, 
you know, concerned about the milk pricing system. And so that day we decided that we were going to do something. And so um, shortly thereafter we co-founded the Sullivan County Farm Network. And our mission was being to connect those who grow food with those who consume and with advocacy on the local level. So it resulted in several of us attending many county meetings, town board meetings, um, you know, educating ourselves on where the county was, um, you know, as far as agriculture is concerned, and basically getting politically involved, simply attending meetings, asking questions, and at the same time bringing a lot of attention to the plight of local farmers. In a relatively short period of time, we assisted in forming uh, the successful indoor winter farmers market, which up until that point, um, you know, during the winter months, it was difficult to get the farm fresh produce, and it's still in operation today. Um, we also um, came up with an agritourism event every summer uh, called Farm Stock, um, where every weekend in the summer a farm was open to the public, and basically that was, you know, an educational event. And one thing led to another, and we wound up rallying in Albany with the Secretary of Agriculture and state representatives. We pushed for local incentives. Um, our farm network uh, was highlighted in media, and it expanded. And a number of us gained seats on county committees, such as the REAP Board, the Rural Economic Area Partnership, um, the Cornell Cooperative Extension Board, advocating for farms. And in 2011, I successfully ran and was um, elected as a Sullivan County legislator on the nine-member legislative board. So, so Charlie was not pulling our team. You were being modest. Um, so I have a what? So you know, we have been uh, hearing a lot in the news. I know Charlie and I, and a lot of my girlfriends down uh, here in Brooklyn have been talking about. This, this type of community-based action, um, thinking about uh, what are the opportunities to get involved, how do you do that, where do you show up, if you think you want to run, like, how do you decide to run? And, you know, it's really inspiring to kind of hear that a lot of the work that you've been a part of started, I feel like a lot of things, from a conversation around a kitchen table. Absolutely. It was um, grassroots. Um, and, you know, it led to a lot of advocacy from a number of different people just getting involved, seeking seats on um, county boards um, locally in townships, our farmland protection committees. Um, <clears throat> and as a county legislator, I initially entered politics to be a voice for local agriculture and sustainability uh, which is near and dear to my heart, being that we are a solar-operated uh, dairy farm. And um, I became chairperson of the county agricultural committee, pulled in sustainability, and um, also um, entered New York State world of agriculture as a member of the New York State Blue Ribbon Task Force. And... From there, we um, were successful in setting up a tremendous agricultural summit, and we brought together many diverse farmers, big farmers, small farmers, and basically trying to improve efforts to increase farming activities here in Sullivan County. 
Um, Cindy, I also pushed. Cindy, for, I'm gonna and, just I'm gonna just jump in there because one of the things that I I like I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about is I know often people feel like oh, I don't really know all sides of these issues or like, what if I'm wrong? Like, I'm not really sure, like, what are the most important things? Obviously, you had the experience of working specifically on your farm, running your business, kind of the things that you had seen from that perspective. But how did you kind of um, deal with the like information, the learning process as you're moving between these positions, as you're deciding um, to to put together different activities, um, you know, cause you're also, you know, this is, this is like, in addition to what is already like the full-time job of running your business and your, and your household. So can you talk just a little bit in, in I think pretty plain way about how you manage that information flow, how you keep your confidence up, like how you, um, keep the energy going. Um, I think, you know, loving the, the landscape, the open space, and having knowledge of, you know, what it would mean to have a loss of local farms. Um, economically, um, farming is tremendous, um, not only in the state of New York, um, but in Sullivan County alone. Um, we have uh, approximately 320 farms, you know, from, from produce farms to maple producers, dairy farms, um, and just the, the tourism opportunity for people to come. People love to come and see, you know, viable farms and the economics of it, you know, farm spinoff into, um, you know, other, other um, you know, um, jobs. You know, everything from, you know, transportation and, and uh, you know, farm workers and, and, you know, trying to be positive and address the challenges as they come along. Uh, me personally, um, I felt that I had already had some knowledge of, you know, the needs of farmers. So for me, I wasn't on a, um, you know, a learning curve so much. Um, but um, to try to get people to understand what it takes to advocate for agriculture is really very simple. And it comes with doing a little research. Um, I don't know if people are aware or not, but county, um, local, townships, state, and federal set policies that either make it very difficult to operate a farm, expand, or start up a new farm, or they can make a transition very easy. Um, so the, the biggest thing for people to remember if they want to help farmers is to attend local town board meetings and local county meetings. And you don't have to go to every meeting. It's now a requirement with the open government laws um, that agendas and discussion items are posted online prior to local town board meetings and county meetings. So what I advise people to do is to go online, Sullivan County Government, uh, you know, whatever your township is, and, and search for agendas of upcoming meetings, search for agricultural issues. One of the biggest things that people need to recognize is zoning changes in their local townships and changes on the county and state level. Um, easiest on the town level um, to push back and, and you know, um, if there's some kind of zoning 
uh, for example, that's not conducive to support value-added agriculture. Some zoning won't allow farm stands or farmers markets. Um, you know, have um, you know each township will have a farmland protection plan. The county planning department puts forth a county master plan. Request to read those documents, um, and you'll get a sense of what um, our local elected officials are allowing or not allowing and fight back. I was successful in assisting several farmers um, in 2015 who were in an agricultural district that was being transitioned into a residential zone, grandfathering those farmers in. However, it was going to be very difficult for those farmers to farm in a residential zone. So we fought back. We, and how do you fight back? You go to town board meetings. You ask questions. A lot of times it may seem like a silly question to you, but many times other people, it will spur discussion. And from there, you shine light on issues, um, and you get the discussion out in the forefront. Hey, you know, farming is alive and well. It's a big economic impact, and we need to make sure that our zoning and our plans match um, activities and allowable uses that are going to keep farmers on the land. Um yeah, that's that is also helpful because it, you know, as Aaron said right now, th this is Charlie, by the way. I think we sound pretty similar. <laughs> um, uh, you know, right now we're we're thinking about, you know, no matter what your perspective is, whatever your kind of personal politics are, things like that. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a divided moment. <laughs> um, but for me. Like I bring everything back to agriculture. We all got to eat. And I think it's such a great way for us to find common ground. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about you care about land, you know, we care about our communities and local businesses and just like having viable, meaningful work. And, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm interested in picking up on what you were saying about advocating for agriculture, talking about the other economic impacts of it. And um, I'd love to hear about maybe some instances you've ever had where it's been a challenge, um, you know, to get somebody on board, to get somebody, to, you know, to hear what you're saying about why the agriculture industry is important um, and how it impacts other aspects of, you know, your local community that are really vital core aspects of the community, especially being a hundred miles, give or take from New York City and being a very tourism based region. Um, would love to hear about how, you know, how we can use some of our common ground to like bridge the divide that's we're all kind of feeling right now. Uh, absolutely, Sally. Um, I think um, Sullivan County um, in particular um, is really open to, you know, agricultural activity, whether it be a large farm or whether it be a small niche farm. Um, we're all in this together. And Sullivan County has realized several successful endeavors in cheese production, which was, um, you know, for example, a dairy farm that was, um, you know, struggling with labor to downsize and to, uh, you know, do the value added in cheese. Uh, recently, we had a dairy farm bottling their own milk. Uh, we also have a raw 
dairy, a raw milk dairy farm where you can buy raw milk on, on site. Um, several niche farms have expanded the size of their operation. Uh, there's several garlic farmers that are, you know, now working the land. Uh, and what I see as the biggest challenges, um, you know, with farms big and small is, of course, you know, the high property taxes and, you know, the threat, like I mentioned before, of zoning changes, which may not allow, um, you know, the agricultural districting where, um, you know, you're looking at an assessment that will uh, work with farmers to stay, um, you know, on the, on the land to keep it viable. Um, hey, Cindy, also, for, um, for folks who, um, like, maybe aren't as, like, familiar with, like, what zoning means or, like, what are the different types of zoning, can you just give a little bit of a primer on, like, like what are there different types of zoning? Like, why is zoning a threat or an opportunity for farmers? Like, what are some of the things that folks should be thinking about or looking out about? Because I feel like that's a word well, you hear can- a lot. Sure. Um, I can tell you that um, every town and municipality has um, or should have a master plan. They should have a farmland protection board, which while I was legislator, um, we pushed to have that implemented, set up and implemented in several of the towns. And those were the people that were keeping an eye on, uh, you know, zoning changes that would make it more difficult for a farmer to operate. And municipalities have zoning, um, which allows certain uses of the land. For example, um, you know, you wouldn't put a manufacturing, um, you know, business in the middle of, you know, dairy farmland, viable land. So zoning is to target certain areas for agriculture and to target certain areas for commercial businesses, which is usually along bigger throughways, such as Route 52 in Sullivan County. But, um, you know, in the past, when people were more involved in, you know, their local um, political um, town boards and county boards, um, a lot of times farmers would seek seats on those boards. What I found was, um, you know, fewer farmers are seeking elected office, seeking, you know, those positions where they can basically educate other people on, hey, wait a minute, you know, that's viable farmland. Um, Let's make sure that our zoning protects agriculture. And what zoning does, the goals of it are to preserve agricultural land, to maintain you know, the potential for production, the rural character, it, it affects, you know, agricultural-based tourism and even, um, you know, supporting um, agricultural um, farm stands, farm markets, um, all those things that make for, um, you know, a healthy landscape. And, you know, we hear so much now about uh, farm-fresh, locally-grown food, And I saw it on the legislative board in trying to work with local farmers to get their product to New York City chefs um, and, you know, to to say, you know, I need so many acres of of potatoes for my restaurants and to make that link. And I think there's, you know, a renewed appreciation for, you know, what farmers do and to keep that momentum going um, we have to get involved. We have to recognize that, you know, farmers 
are really one town board away from not being able to farm if zoning were changed and, you know, just to say, you know, we're not going to allow farm stands or, you know, agricultural activities here or there. That's why we have um, New York State Ag and Markets and we have protections through the agricultural districting um, so that, you know, a, a group can't come in and say, you know, Geiger Farm will no longer be able to operate here right. because we're going to put a factory on the land. Right. So it's so, like important to remain kind of like vigilant, it seems like. I feel like, as Charlie mentioned, especially for, for uh, agriculture areas that are so close to the city. I'm curious, Cindy, you know, uh, as we said at the top of the show, we are entering uh, a new administration, and that means, you know, big changes for some of the top-level positions that impact uh, agriculture and the environment here in the U.S. And I'm wondering kind of what what's the buzz where you are? How are people feeling um, about the, the appointments? Are folks optimistic, pessimistic, wait-and-see? Um, what are your thoughts, kind of knowing what we know today? Um, I'm sure. I think I see, um, you know, mixed opinions. I think, like we all see, um, you know, I I'm not particularly um, sure what the future holds as far as the dairy industry. Um, however, working on the legislative board and seeing uh, local, state, and federal business, uh, I was really concerned that we need some kind of change. Um, And I think advocacy, um, you know, people getting involved with this new administration and, um, you know, letting them know what farmers need. I mean, the regulations, the regulatory environment that we live under as a dairy industry, I feel, is above and beyond what's really practical for a small family-run farm, bigger farms, you know, you hear about those big corporate farms out west, and, you know, they have people working just to overcome regulations. A small family farm is really getting buried. Um, so, you know, I hear, I hear both. I hear, you know, change is good if they lose some of the regulations, if, if you know, there's, there's a way to relieve the property tax burden, um, you know, on one dairy farm operating on, you know, an average-sized farm in Sullivan County is about 150 acres. Uh, you know, um, I, I just want to tell you something interesting. On the legislative board, um, we had to pay specific attention to any kind of changes that were happening um, in the county, and one was a proposal to tax vacant land for potential um, garbage use. And when I heard about it, I simply attended the meeting, and I asked, you know, what, what's the goal? Why, why is this, you know, happening? Why is this being proposed? And it was basically um, proposed to be a revenue generator with no thought that a 200-acre farmer would be buried under that garbage fee on vacant land of 150 acres. Right. Yeah. So things like that, um, you know, you really have to pay attention to the political end of farming. I, I, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, I have heard some talk about, you know, burdensome regulations. I think that that's, that's a biggie, as well as, um, you know, incentives. 
I know Governor Cuomo just recently um, approved, I believe it was a tax credit um, for farmers. I think that, um, you know, I tried to seek grant funding when I was on the legislative board if a farmer was trying to expand. There is grant opportunity. Right. We need to hook up local farmers with business plans and, um, you know, help them, you know, be competitive to get some of the funding for improvements on the farm, just to be able to, you know, expand and move forward and realize, uh, you know, more of a um, economic um, impact. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you bring up a great point that, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see. Um, what happens in particular for the dairy industry, you know, thinking about the USDA specifically, I mean, their duties really range from, you know, helping farmers with price supports and subsidies. Um, but the other big facet of their work is inspecting food to make sure it's safe for the American public. And so when you are are talking, and I think rightfully so, about the burden of the regulatory environment, um, as you see it now, I just want to clarify for folks what that means on the day to day for you. Are we, you know, I think what we're talking about is extensive record keeping and reporting. So ultimately, in addition to um, managing the, the land and the pastures where you're growing feed and taking care of animals and doing the milking process and managing um, the birthing process and running the farm operations, all of the equipment, in addition to that, the the way the regulatory environment really comes in on a day-to-day basis, can you just talk a little bit about what are some of those pieces and why that is a challenge for farms of a size like, like yours, milking, you know, 75 head of, of cow? Well, certainly. I can give you an example um, uh, of something that, you know, comes to mind. Um, there, a number of years ago, there was a... Um, uh, a change coming um, that farmers, you know, to dispense of, you know, their day-to-day operation manure from the barn were going to be required to get the slurry pit, um, you know, very expensive. And um, what that means is, it, you know, the manure is spread in the spring, um, you know, on the fields instead of a little at a time during the day. And, you know, I understand, you know, we have to protect our water systems and, and you know, especially when farmers farms get big, um, you know, that's a real issue. But for the small family farms spreading, you know, the, the animal waste on the ground throughout the year, um, you know, we, we came to find out that the slurry pit, which, um, neighbors have used in the spring if you have a very wet year and you're required to spread that out that makes a much more um, potential for runoff into the streams and as a matter of fact farmers that we know um, had that issue um, and you know had to clarify rectify that so ultimately in the end um, the requirement was loosed and it wasn't um, you know a requirement for every farm and we opted out of uh, you know, purchasing the slurry pit, and we felt that. Um, so things like that, um, that maybe, you know, the big farms should absolutely be mandated to do, but the smaller farms, because of the cost and because, you know, a lot of people that are farming are ge- multi-generational, and they understand sometimes, um, you know, what things work and what things don't work. Um, so I think regulatory changes, you know, reducing some of uh, possibly exempting 
um, some of those uh, mandated regulations from small family farms under so many cows, a smaller operation, um, would, would also be helpful. That's a great example of, you know, the day-to-day, and all of this has been so valuable um, for us to just get a better understanding of what your experience is and what your, your, you know, kind of your path into um, public work has been. So I I guess as a a wrap-up, we'd love to hear any advice you might have for getting involved and any thoughts you have for somebody who'd like to work locally, um, what they should be prepared for to face. Um, I think the best advice I can give, you know, um, you know, work in a dairy farm for 30 years and, uh, you know, working with neighbors in different um, areas of farming is, um, number one, to understand the most challenging thing that affects our ability to farm the land, local and state policies, like I said before, um, you know, the unfunded state mandates, increased property taxation, eroding of farm policy. So, you know, what can somebody do? I mean, especially people that kind of shy away from, you know, the political realm. Um, But if they do want to advocate for farming, um, most important to attend local town meetings and educate yourself on the issues, read the agendas, watch what's being posted online, watch for those zoning changes, request farmland protection plans and read them. Um, Buy local food, you know, go to your farmer's markets, talk to your local farmers, and they can steer you to, um, you know, local groups and organizations that are getting things done. Uh, We have a um, vibrant farmer's market association here. I think we have upwards of Um, eight to ten farmers markets now with the indoor market and this is a time where you can actually get feedback from farmers and you know call your local officials your local elected officials on it um, and and let them know that you know you want to preserve farming here in Sullivan County and you know your own local municipality there's other another there's also another thing that people may not be aware of um, that there's local right to farm laws and real estate brokers are supposed to make sure that they inform prospective new homeowners in agricultural districts of a farmer's right to farm. We've had several, um, if you want to call them nuisance lawsuits from, you know, people that move into the area and they don't like certain farm practices. Um, so, you know, call, call them on it. Support your farmer that's under attack for a nuisance lawsuit. Call your elected officials and ask them, you know, what are you doing for local farmers? And, um, you know, appreciate our open space and the beauty that, you know, just comes from agriculture because um, that's why a lot of people live here. That's why we have a second home industry. People do love it. But we need to be um, vigilant, watchdogs, and, uh, you know, make our state and local um, officials accountable to keep farming viable. That's the best advice I can give. It's wonderful advice. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. I, I really appreciate your kind of continued work on behalf of New York State farmers. Well, thank you very much, and I'm glad that I was able to, um, you know, provide some insight from my perspective, and I hope that it helps people recognize the value of agriculture, not only the food that we're eating, but even the farm 
um, lifestyle um, where, you know, neighbors' kids are learning hard work. You know, it's hard work, and, um, you know, but it's, it's got a great return. So thank you very much. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick thank break you. to hear from our uh, sponsors, and we'll come back to wrap up the show. Hang tight. You're listening to The Farm Report with Charlie and Aaron. <laughs> And this one is Vicodin Dreams by Techstar. We'll be right back. Visit a farm. Log on to EscapeMaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Or come by Escape Maker's Blue Tent and Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Have you listened to On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio? Escape Maker has teamed up with Heritage Radio to design a vacation package that provides a first-hand experience of the local flavors from some of New York's best craft beverage producers. Listen in and book your trip at escapemaker.com slash heritage radio. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to EscapeMaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back. You are listening to The Farm Report. And before we wrap up the show, uh, Charlie and I just wanted to kind of share a little bit of a recap from our trip down to D.C. this past Saturday for the Women's Women's March on Washington. We are part of a, a group of two buses. Which Erin with- organized with, <laughs> with the power, power trio of women. Yeah, I feel like it was an amazing uh, kind of group of women in food and farming and a bunch of industries. And it felt really good to go down and be part of what turned out to be the biggest protest, single day protest in the history of the U.S. It's, you know, and it's incredible to just like hearing what we just heard from Cindy and, you know, the call to action after the marches to get involved locally. And I'm thinking a lot about, you know, I've spent most of my career in public service and um, thinking a lot about how how I can continue that and how I can just kind of use, use my own personal resources that I have to offer, um, you know, here living in the city and what the ways of doing that are, whether it's being involved in participatory budgeting or, or kind of other advocacy and volunteer projects. Yeah. I feel like, um, one of the things that I really appreciated about the organization of the March is the platform of issues was incredibly broad. They were not talking only about kind of traditional, like I'm using air quotes here, women's issues with regards to, you know, uh, fair wage and, and reproductive health care, but also talking about um, indigenous people's rights and environmental protection and immigrants' rights and refugee rights. And really um, this really kind of expanding the idea of what our 
women's issues. And I have to say, coming coming back, feeling super energized, waking up Sunday morning, pretty tired. Um, and then heading into the week, it was like a little bit of a punch to the gut. We heard um, kind of sweeping across my news feed some really disturbing reports with regards to media bans and gags for the Environmental Protection Agency, for the USDA. And there was a, a real um, kind of swarm of confusion. What did this mean? Was it even legal? Um, I feel like a lot of folks, too, also taking a moment to question what actually specifically do these agencies do? And, um, you know, it's it's a lot to say on top of. Uh, also, you know, TPP is officially done. So I'm getting kind of news reports where... Um, you know, people are, family farms are happy that TPP has ended. And the, you know, Humane Society is scared that uh, Sonny Perdue is the new um, Secretary of Agriculture. And um, like you guys out there listening, um, there's just a lot to say on top of right now. And I guess our biggest pieces of advice for you might be to don't freak out. <laughs> I feel like one of the things that, that Cindy really illustrated in the top of the show was um, the, the power of kind of action and speaking from a place of authority in, in the area that you're active in. Um, I also think, you know, going back to what Cindy was saying, too, about regulation and what actually in the end results for an economic impact for her as, you know, relatively speaking, uh, the national scale as a relatively small farmer, um, you know, how regulation impacts them when regulation is written for much larger scale um, and limiting access to information from public agencies that taxpayers pay for um, is really frustrating because it's it's the age of transparency and uh, I think that industry needs that information to make informed business decisions. And no matter what your politics are, I mean, and, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not assuming that people are sitting around reading the census of agriculture. Um, but, but you should. It's actually super <laughs> it's interesting. The best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely kind of lots of room for concern, but I think taking a deep breath, going beyond the um, initial um, articles that that are coming across your newsfeed, tucking into items a little bit more. Um, I, I am excited to share that um, you know the the reporting on the the ban, the kind of social media and information gag that was put on the USDA has been lifted. It looks like there was some kind of internal confusion amongst the USDA. Um, it doesn't mean there's no cause for concern because you look at, you know, Sonny Perdue's record. He is the new secretary of agriculture, formerly uh, governor of Georgia, um, climate change denier. Um, you know, he under under his watch kind of rates of hunger in Georgia rose by multiple percentage points. It's it's um it's troubling times, you know, but there's a little bit of a like stay stay woke stay active it's kind of funny i actually went on the usda twitter feed because i'm like all right thinking about this proposed ban what like what are we missing and um i would recommend you know check it out guys the the usda um 
the USDA Twitter feed has a variety of kind of interesting uh, facts and figures and, um, you know, some which I think we would be okay without, but others, um, in particular, thinking about uh, data sets, which I know has been a big concern for scientists worldwide. You know, the government sponsors a large variety of, of research, and there is a real fear that um, just these banks of information are, are going to become unavailable or to disappear. So we'll continue bringing you information on these topics as we find it. We're looking to identify the right people for us to talk to, to, to understand some of these issues, but also to understand what is what are our point, points of entry, like what is the role that we have um, as as individuals to engage in these topics, to make our voices heard. And I think... You guys are already out there listening, doing a big piece of that just by tuning into shows like The Farm Report. You know, we are a, a media source, a free media source, um, and we only exist really through through the support of, of, of listeners like you. And I think that is the case for media in most places. So I think now more than ever, one of the simplest um, and most satisfying things you can do is support the organizations that are producing content that you trust. And uh, I think, you know, Heritage Radio Network is one of those. And looking out, out amongst other other publication sources, subscribing, signing up for email lists, even if you don't read the emails, <laughs> just having those like big numbers actually like helps organizations make their case. Um, that stuff, you know, really matters. It's finding what are the, what are the little things you can do on a daily basis to stay, stay engaged without getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, you know, what our angle here is with this series this year of just trying to bring in other voices, people from other communities and kind of broadening our perspectives and, and just kind of keeping the conversation going. So that is a wrap. Thank you guys so much. You've made your way through another episode of the farm report. Like I said, super important now and always to support the, the media and the resources that bring you the information you want if heritage radio network is one of those and i know it is visit the website click that beating heart throw us a couple bucks literally any amount helps uh it's awesome sign up for our newsletter uh katie and kat and the team are sending out awesome information um really fun playlists access to events we've got some good gear and a lot of fun stuff planned for 2017 that you do not want to miss thank you so much for listening stay tuned in Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.